this morning I want to talk to you just about the kingdom of God. And if you, if you do any research into the kingdom of God, you're going to find out that there's a lot of different uh, opinions about what it is. And, and, um, and when it really boils down to it, they all come back to the same thing, that it's really talking about God's overall reign of, of his creation and people. And um, to be honest, that really is dealing with God's position. You see, the Bible talks that he is God, Elohim, which is a, a common name that we use for God. But Elohim is simply just a generic term. It's, um, it's actually a word that's plural, and um, it's used to describe multiple things. Angels, it's used to describe Samuel coming up from the grave when Saul hired a spiritual medium. It's used to describe the, the, the beings that are surrounding God's throne in, in Psalm 82. So Elohim is, is just a, a common name for a spiritual being. And God is a spiritual being. John tells us uh, uh, that God is spirit. Jesus tells us that God is spirit in John 4. And so, so to describe God as a spiritual being is a normal thing. But the way we differentiate, differentiate our God from other gods is that he's most high, that he is the God who is most high. Paul talks about, yes, there are many gods and many lords, but there is our God who's most high. He's above all spiritual beings. And, and, and every Elohim is a spiritual being, but not every Elohim is the most high. We only have one God. And when we talk about his, his ability to rule over his creation and people, that's his status. That's his position. But what does it actually mean to, to when we say the kingdom of God? This is something that Jesus talked about quite a bit. Jesus is the one that really just came out and just started talking about the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. But yet it's really kind of hard to define. And, and a lot of times we don't really teach on what it actually is. And so this morning, I just want to share with you a couple things about what the kingdom of God is. A simple definition, if you look up what kingdom means, is a country that is ruled by a king. And what makes up a kingdom? And, and most people will agree that there's four different things that, that make up a kingdom. You need a king and you need laws, and you need land, and you need people, subjects. Well, um, I agree, but I like to, to, to state it just a little differently. We need a king, and we need an army. Um, what's the point of having laws if there's no one to reinforce the power or the law that you're trying to implement? And when a king is established and he has an army that implements that that reinforces what the law is then you have authority you have power not because of who you are or what you wear or or what throne you're sitting on it's because you have a whole bunch of people behind you that will reinforce and will make sure that whatever the king says goes and so that's the power of the king so you need a king you need an army you need land Absolutely, you need land. You can't be a king inside of someone else's territory. You need your own land and you need people, subjects, people to rule over, to people to be a part of your citizen, your nation and the people that, that are under your rule. So, but what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? Well, there's a story where John, in John chapter 18, Jesus is before Pilate and he says this, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, is that your ideal or did others talk to you about me? And Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, 
my servants would fight to prevent my arrest in the, by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus claims that he has a kingdom. Jesus claims that he has a kingdom, which means he, he is king, which means he has an army, which means he has land, and which means he has people. And he says that my kingdom is not of this world. And here's where the previous books like the, the story of the Bible come in handy because what I do is I, in those books, I really walk you through the spiritual realm of this world. You see, we in our modern thinking, in our, in our education, with our education, we've learned to separate the physical from the spiritual. We've learned to separate those things. You know, just like when it comes to like you being, you know, what does it mean to have a soul? And, you know, we, what do we describe as our soul? And people will say, you know, it's this, this immaterial thing that has will and emotions and thoughts. And, 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 and we don't think of it in a physical fashion. But the Bible doesn't say that we are human beings with a soul. The Bible says that we are a soul that there's no separation. And you see this with the story of Jesus and Lazarus where the, 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 the poor beggar Lazarus and the rich man, where Jesus says that the rich man goes to the grave. He goes to Hades. He goes to this place, the waiting place in the, the grave. And as he's going down to the grave, uh, Lazarus goes to Abraham's side in which we would understand as paradise, this place that was uh, designed for the people that were obedient to God. And and so here's the rich man, and he's on the other side of this great chasm that divides paradise and, and Hades, uh, the grave. And he, the rich man is asking Lazarus, hey, can you, can you asking Abraham, can you send Lazarus to, to come and dip his finger in, in, in water and put it on my tongue? How does Lazarus, or the rich man, how does he have a tongue? How does he taste? How does he feel? How does he remember? How does he speak? He's doing all of this without his physical body because Jesus clearly says that he, the rich man died and was buried. But then he starts speaking about him in Hades. There's no, there's no distinction between whether he's in a body or whether he's in the grave. The rich man is still the rich man. And he can still feel, think, remember, speak, see. And, and yet we've learned to separate those things because of science. And, and these are some of the things that I, that I deal with um, when it comes to the story of the Bible. So, so when you think about what it means to be uh, a part of the spiritual realm, we separate those things. But if you lived in the, the times when Jesus walked the earth, society didn't separate those things. They didn't separate the spiritual realm and the physical realm. It was just one realm, one realm that we could see and one realm we couldn't see, but they knew it was always there, it was always present. And today we don't, we don't think that way. We don't see demons behind every tree. We don't see a spiritual demon or a, a, a demon that is causing sickness and seizures. But yet throughout the Bible, people who had sickness and, and seizures, Jesus cast out the demons to heal them. Didn't send them to a hospital, didn't provide medicine, but actually took care of the source of their physical problems. And it was a spiritual demon. So so this is, this is why we have to rethink about when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is a kingdom. It's a real kingdom. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a real kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Even though we don't see it, it is there. It is real. And it is closer than you think. Because according to the way the Bible is laid out, heaven, earth, and under the earth. That's it. 
There's no galaxies and no gazillions of billions of distance of stars. And God is closer than you think. And according to the Bible, above the firmament is water and above the water is his throne. And this is consistent all throughout the Bible. But according to modern science, heaven is nowhere to be found in the Milky Way galaxy. Hell is nowhere to be found in the, the, the universe and the vastness of, of uh, the vacuum of space. And so this is why you have to, to kind of step back and say, okay, what is real and what isn't? Who's lying and who's telling the truth? Because I believe with all my heart that, that, that God's word is without error. According to Proverbs 30, that all scripture proves true. And according to Psalm 18, that God's word is perfect. It's flawless. And Jesus, while he was praying in John 17, says that your word is truth. The Bible says that all scripture is God breathed. Uh, Peter tells us that the prophets don't speak on their own. They're, they're, they're uttering things that are coming from the inspiration and the direction of the Holy Spirit. King David, who wrote a lot of poetry in the Bible, even the poetry, David says that the Spirit of God was on my tongue and I was speaking his words. So the Bible is very literal, very true, very accurate. And, but yet we've come to believe in our modern times that it's not. And so I encourage you to, to, to just really think about and, and research and find out what the truth is. And you're going to find out that God is more true than anything that, that this world can present. That the Bible is more literal than you think. So, so the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus claimed that he has a kingdom and that his kingdom is not from this world. First of all, Jesus is king. Um, Revelation talks about when he comes down on the white horse that on his thigh is written his name and that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The same story that John wrote about with Pilate, Luke writes about and, and Pilate asks Jesus, are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so. Jesus admits that he's king. Revelation tells us he is the King of Kings. So Jesus is king. So Jesus is king over his kingdom. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the second thing is that Jesus has an army. Jesus has an army. The Bible says that who is the king of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. Psalm 2410. And that's from the New American Standard Bible. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of armies. Now the NIV translate this as the Lord Almighty. And and I read the NIV for my personal devotions. And every time I read the Lord Almighty, I know it's talking about the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. The Bible says that his angels are surrounding him all the time. He has a host of angels. Even in the New Testament, when the angel was coming to give the news to the shepherd about Jesus coming, there was a suddenly a, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel that was talking to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. The great company of the heavenly host that uh, once again when you translate it correctly it says the heavenly armies of the angels the heavenly army of angels that came down and wanted to announce the coming of jesus christ his army jesus has an army and jesus's army is ready to fight for their king that's why jesus told Pilate, my servants would fight for me they would fight to prevent my arrest but Jesus wasn't allowing them to because he had to go through this plan that no one knew about. And it was a secret plan. The devil didn't even know what was going on. And that's why the, Jesus was able to take the keys right from his hands without him even knowing what happened. And, um, and, and I, th once again, this is all part of the story of the devil and the war that broke out between Michael and the angels. And I cover that in, in the story of the Bible. 
But Jesus has an army. And, and the, here's the great thing is that God's army will actually fight for us still today. Uh, Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. When we start to understand Jesus and his kingdom, we understand that Jesus is king. He's over everything. And he has an army. He has an army that will fight for us, that will, that will defend us. And the Bible says that the Lord will fight for you. But who is he going to send? He's going to send his servants to do his will. Just like with the Tower of Babel, the Bible says that God came down and saw that they were building this tower and, and they were, all these people were doing things they weren't supposed to do. And, and God's down on the scenes and he says, come and let us, he says, let us go and confuse their language. Well, who is he talking to? He's talking to his army, he's talking to his host and the angels go out and confuse the language of the people. God will fight for us. He will help you when you need him. Uh, Isaiah 41 tells us, all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. When I read this verse and I just imagine the, the awesomeness of, of when when there are times when you're just afraid and, and God's the one who comes and just takes you by the hand and he tells you, do not be afraid, I will help you. And, and it's God. There's no one else that we need. There's no one else that we need except God and God alone who will fight for us. But I know this, that, that God said this knowing that there is a host of angels around his throne that will do whatever he asks and they will fight on his behalf for us. You know, the Bible says that in Hebrews uh, 1, it tells us that all angels are, are ministering servants to those who inherit salvation, that they are to serve us and to help us because that's the way God designed it. He wanted us to understand that he will fight for us and he has an army that will reinforce his kingdom law. And just give you one example of what it means to, for kingdom law because it's really about God's promises. You know, when we, when we go into our room and we pray, uh, what are we really doing? You know, when you think about it, when you, when you pray to the Lord, what are you really doing? And, and, you know, the simplest definition is we communicate with God. Basically, we just speak to God. That's all we do is speak to God. And, and when we speak to God, we're just using words. We're just using language. We're just using our thoughts and we're saying, God, would you help me? God, would you come and assist me? All we're doing is talking. But Jesus says, because we are part of his kingdom, that we now are entering into a secret place and it's in that room that the Father will reward because see, we are part of his kingdom and we're a part of his law. We're a part of his system. And a part of that, the Bible says, is a host of army. Why do you need an army to reinforce the laws? And I'll tell you, God will bring justice to you. God will bring favor to you. God will bring you gifts and provisions and whatever you need. God will bring it. And he has a whole army that will reinforce what he desires. So the kingdom of God is real. He's king. He has an army. And the Bible says that he also has land. He told Pilate that my kingdom is not of this world. And just because he's not of this world, where, where's Jesus from? Well, John 3 tells us Jesus is from heaven. That no one, knows, no one knows these things except for the one who comes from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. 
And so he's telling Pilate, listen, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is in heaven. The place, the land that I own, that is mine, is in heaven. And the Bible tells us that it's heaven, is God's throne, and the earth is his footstool. Jesus is king over the land that is over our land. Jesus is king and he has land. That's why John 3, 6, 17 tells us that God did, not send, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But see, Jesus had to be sent down to earth because, see, he comes from heaven. John 8, 23, Jesus said, you are from below on earth. You are from below. I am from above. You are from the earth. I am from heaven. That's what Jesus is telling us, that you are from below and I am from above. Yes, Jesus has land, and that land is in heaven. And finally, Jesus has people. Jesus has people. The angels are not the people that Jesus is talking about that are part of his kingdom. It's not the angels. The angels were created to serve God. Psalm 103, 21, Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you who serve him, doing his will. Angels are not the people that God is talking about, that Jesus is talking about, because angels were created to serve us. Like I mentioned earlier, Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Jesus is talking about you and I. Jesus is talking about us as his followers who are now part of his kingdom. Luke 6.20 says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus promises us that when we are poor in spirit, when we are followers of him, when we trust him, when we love him, when we live for him, when we serve him, when we seek him, that we now have the kingdom of God. This really is a major clue into really figuring out who you really are. Because remember what Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. How is it that we are not of this world? Well, the Bible tells us that we are citizens of heaven. We are no longer citizens of the earth. Jesus tells us in John, or John tells us that when we are believers in Christ, that we have the right to be children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of husband will, or anyone else's choice, but born of God. I want to ask you, how many fathers can you have? You only can have one father. And me as a, a earthly being, as a, a person born upon this earth, I have a father, and I have a mother, and they, they, they produced me, and I grew up, and, and I still have an earthly father. But when I got saved, according to the Bible, the Bible says that I no longer come from a natural bloodline, that my life, the blood that flows through my veins, comes from him. That's why we can call him our heavenly father. That's why Jesus said, if you do my will, you are my brothers, my sisters, my mothers. We're family because we share the same bloodline. We're no longer from the bloodline of Adam. We're from the bloodline of Christ. And because Adam was sinful after he left the garden, because he, he had to leave the garden because he was sinful, and he, he died spiritually, and, and, and I walk you through the story of the Bible about the whole process of what happened to Adam and, and why he died spiritually, and, and how every single person after that is born just like Adam. Every single person, every single person that lives on this earth is born just like Adam, alive as a living being, but dead spiritually. And that's why the Bible says that we were made alive in Christ even while we were dead in our transgressions, in our sin. 
And Jesus is the one who comes and restores our bloodline back to the Father. You see, in the Bible, God only produced two sons. Luke 3.38 tells us that Adam was the son of God, that God created Adam, and God was his father. The second son is Jesus Christ. Mary and Joseph were not needed. Only God was the one who brought life into Mary. And Mary produced a child, delivered the child. But Jesus' father was God. When he was about 12 years old, they went to the temple and, and, and they left. They end up, after they got done with their worship, they left. And three days later, you know, the original Home Alone story, uh, Mary realizes that Jesus isn't with them. They go back, they find him at the temple. And Mary scolds Jesus and says, listen, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus says, wait a minute. My father is the one who owns the temple. This is my father's house. I'm with my father in his house. Jesus never said that he was a part of Mary's family. Jesus said that he was a part of God's family. My father owns the temple. And when we get saved, that very same thing happens to us. That very same thing where our bloodline no longer is tied to a human being, but it actually comes from God. And the result of that the benefit of that you'll see all throughout Scripture. That's why Peter says that we have been given the right to participate in the divine nature because that's the nature that we have. We have a spiritual nature that's been restored. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that we are now able to participate or that we live in the realm of the Spirit. We live right now in the realm of the Spirit, not in the flesh, not in this world. Philippians tells us that our citizenship is in heaven that our nation, the land that we come from, our people come from heaven, not from earth. So when you start to realize what the Bible is teaching and, and you understand the function of, of all these things, all of a sudden the Bible comes alive again and we start to realize that we're more than what we think we are. You see, science has been used to dumb us down and to, to consider us less. But the Bible tells us a different picture. The Bible tells us that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Why? Because we have conformed into the image of the Son of God. And what does it mean to be conformed? That means that we have taken on the same nature. Jesus even prayed in John 17 that he prayed for us as believers. He says, I wish that they would be like you and I, one. That we would be one, just as the Father and him is one. When Jesus said that, when Jesus said that the Father and I is one in John 5, they wanted to stone him because they, they knew that Jesus was claiming to be like God. You see, that's what God did for us. He actually made us, restored us, so that we are just like the Son. Now, we're always going to be children of God. We're always going to be God, and He's always going to be Father. But you're more special than you realize. And that's the beauty of the story of the Bible, and that's the beauty of the kingdom of God because, see, we inherit the kingdom of God. We now are his people in a kingdom that this world can't see, but it's real. A lot of times when we are going through things that we don't understand, we go through hardships, we go through financial difficulties, we go through sicknesses, we go through problems. I know that this world is hurting, but I want to tell you, do not forget that you belong to a kingdom, a kingdom that can do anything 
the king wants, that he is able to make it all happen, that he is good, and he is going to do everything he can to help you because he loves you. And as a king, it's his responsibility to take care of his people, and God is going to take care of you. But you go through things, we all go through things. My family, ever since we wrote the book, Parenting Handbook, we've been under attack. Our family's just gone through some horrible things. But see, I know that my king is moving on our behalf. Why? Jesus gave a parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like this in Mark 4. A man scattered seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces again grain. You see, I don't have to know how it works. I just got to know that if I continue to spread his word, continue to believe his word, continue to believe and trust in what he has said, no matter what happens, whether I sleep or whether I watch it or whether I'm looking or whether I'm just enjoying life, I know this, that things are happening beyond my understanding. I don't have to know how. I just know that he is, that God is moving on our behalf. Even though we don't see it, he is. And that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Seek him. And then everything else is going to take care of itself. So I just want to encourage you today and just to continue to, to remind you of how real the kingdom of God is and how we get to be a part of that. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would just touch your people today, that you would help them. Lord, maybe some of them are going through some hardships. Maybe some of them are going through some confusing moments and they're difficult times and they don't know what tomorrow, how they're going to even make it through today and tomorrow seems so unclear. I pray that you, God, would be king in their life, that they would look to you and they would seek you and that you would do what you promised, that you would take care of your people. Lord, you said that even in times of trouble, you are ever present. King, I ask in the name of Jesus, be there for your people. And I just pray, God, that you would just move, even if we don't see it, even, even if we don't understand how, that you would move on behalf of your people and that we would see your goodness be displayed here on earth. Thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you just to continue to seek the kingdom of God, and may you find him. God bless you.